you have killed him. And you will kill again. You're getting closer and closer to the most unnatural kind of death. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Deep red. The conjecture is that an act of bloodshed was once committed in that house. Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, death is running with you. Right, this is Stuart Feedback Andrews from Rumorg Radio, and you're listening to episode one of the Rumorg podcast. On this series, not only will you hear bonus interview snippets that we didn't have time for on Rumorg Radio, but we're going to have plenty of interviews exclusive to the podcast as well, along with giveaways, contests, fan mail, and whatever else we can think of to traumatize your delicate ears. You can find us on iTunes, and there's a link on the Rumorg blog where you can automatically subscribe at www.ru-morg.com. I want to kick off the podcast with one of my favourite characters currently proliferating in the horror genre. His work over the last few years has elevated him to something of a cult hero to horror fans, and he's a beloved radio personality in his own right. Unfortunately, he wasn't available today, so I've asked Mike Felcher from Red Chair Pictures to come on instead. How are you, Mike? Uh, that was a nice setup. You, you, you just had me going there, then you threw me off the cliff. That was nice. We got to kick off this podcast with a, I won't say with a bang, more with a wimpy. That, again, you're just building my ego up beyond recognition here. Now, as this is the very first episode of the Rumorg podcast, for the benefit of anyone who may not be familiar with you and your work, could you please give us a brief description of the sort of shenanigans you get up to over there at Red Chair Pictures? Well, basically what I do is I provide a lot of documentaries, featurettes, and commentaries for a lot of the uh, DVD and Blu-ray re-releases of classic horror films, uh, such as Night of the Creeps, Monster Squad, Neither Living Dead, uh, shot behind-the-scenes footage on the last two George Romero movies, Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. 
Uh, you know, I've worked with the, you know, the, everyone from the Shout Factory guys to Blue Underground I'm working with now, everyone from Sony to Fox to MGM. So, but it mainly, it mainly horror movies, cult films of that nature, and uh, it's been a blast. I've been doing it since uh, 2004, late 2004, 2005, so I'm going on six years now, which seems unbelievable to me. All right, well, let's start with some of the recent and current work you're doing with Blue Underground, beginning with the 30th anniversary edition of Maniac, which came out near the end of last year. The previous editions of Maniac already had that fantastic duck by by David Gregory, the Joe Spinell story. So what did you concoct for the reissue? Well, there was certainly no reason to try to duplicate anything David did with that. I still think the Joe Spinell story is one of the best... Uh, documentaries to ever be on a DVD release. That really set a high watermark very early on. But with uh, with with B- Bill Lustig, the director who also runs Blue Underground, and this was his first movie, Maniac, he wanted to explore some people who hadn't necessarily gotten a lot of time on previous editions and a couple different aspects of the uh, of the production. So I ended up doing an extended interview with Caroline Monroe. Uh, she was in the the Joe Spinell story, but she uh, we, we talked a little bit more about her interpretation of the character, her relationship obviously with Joe, and you know the the controversy surrounding the film and the women's rights groups that kind of affected her to some degree. Got Tom Savini in there to talk about his you know his work on all the the very memorable uh, slasher sequences and that. And he had some great photos, some behind the scenes photos that had never really been seen before. And then Jay Chataway, the composer, this was his first horror score and also his first sort of independent score that he'd ever done. He'd worked on some other projects, but uh, this was something that just kind of came up, and he was not expecting to work on a film of that nature, but he really enjoyed it, and he's gone on to work with Bill Lustig a bunch of times. But then the most memorable one, I think, was definitely sitting down with uh, Michael Sembello and his writing partner, Dennis Makotsky, and talking about the song Maniac from Flashdance, which actually, as it turns out, has an interesting connection to the film Maniac. And uh, we were able to go to Michael Cimbello's home and actually sit there, talk about how the song was originally supposed to be something really graphic about a maniac that was influenced by their viewing of Maniac, and they actually had some very X-rated lyrics for the song originally before it became a Flashdance song, and they actually do a live version of that there at at their house, which was hilarious. So there was a lot of really interesting stuff to do for that. Now tell me about the upcoming Blu-ray edition of Dario Argento's Inferno, which comes out next month. Yeah, well, this is going to be really, uh, you know, the transfer on it's a brand new HD transfer. It looks amazing, and we were able to get interviews with uh, two of the, I mean, Dario had already contributed, Lumberto Bava, and I I believe a couple other folks had already uh, had their say on a previous DVD edition, but we were able to get new interviews with uh, the two leads on the film, Irene Miracle and Lee McCloskey. And they were both very happy to talk about their memories of making the movie. And, and McCloskey, in particular, has gone on to be a very impressive visual artist himself. And we interviewed him at his studio up in his house. And it's it's really interesting just to see how, in a small way, Inferno had some very direct influence on the type of art that he does. And we get to see a couple of the paintings that he did on the set of Inferno, and he, he really gets into uh, uh, some very interesting artistic discussions, which is really unusual. You know, usually an actor does a part, and that's it, and then they move on. But this this was a, a much more uh, rewarding discussion than I originally had envisioned. 
And recently you've added graphic designer to your repertoire with the cover of the new Blu-ray edition of Deep Red on Blue Underground. So how did that come about? It's kind of a fluke. I used to work at Anchor Bay Entertainment. I worked there for about five years, and during that time, we came out with the first edition of Deep Red, which uh, Blue Under- or Bill had licensed through Anchor Bay and had also worked on, but the cover was terrible. I mean, Deep Red has some really evocative imagery that's been used for the covers all around the world. And somehow we ended up with this cover that was just a a shot of a a skeleton illuminated by a flashlight and then the title treatment. It was like, uh, it always stuck in my craw. It's just like, God, that cover sucks, especially considering all the great choices out there. And then Bill got the rights back to it for Blue Underground, and he put out another edition that had a different cover, which, in my opinion, really wasn't any better. Uh, it was just, it's like, God, you know, and then so he announces this Blu-ray, and there really wasn't anything to do for it supplemental-wise, because uh, he had already covered it all very extensively pre- in previous editions, but I thought, come on, we've got to, co- I, I just, I thought, I'm just going to do a Hail Mary and do a cover design of my own, uh, and base it off the, the U.S. theatrical poster, which I've always liked, and I'm just going to send it over to, to Bill and, and his people and just see if he would consider using it for the new Blu-ray. I mean, it was just a, you know, what the hell. And sure enough, they got it, and they really liked it, and they made a few small alterations to it, uh, which they let me go back and, and make a couple changes myself. And, and that next thing you know, we have an all-new cover for Deep Red that I designed, and it was uh, the first cover I've ever actually designed for a release. So, yeah, that was it was sort of a fluke, but it kind of put to rest... Uh, a long-standing beef I've always had with uh, with the deep red covers on DVD. So this will be, in my opinion, the first one that somewhat accurately reflects at least some of the original promotional artwork that went into the film. Although, of course, everyone still has their particular favorite. Not everyone's going to like this cover either. But i, I got to believe this is better than what's been given to us before. So that, that was a fun little diversion for me, definitely. What's going on with the North American Blu-ray release of Suspiria? Because... I don't believe Blue Underground owns the rights to that anymore. No, sadly they don't. The uh, the Weinstein Company picked them up some time ago uh, in conjunction with what they believed was the imminent release of the remake of Suspiria, which they were developing. Now, I don't know what's happened with that remake. I haven't heard much of it in some time, but Weinstein Company, uh, last, at last report, has uh, the home video rights to Suspiria right now, which... You know, I'd love to see it come out, and I work with those guys, and I know they're capable of doing good work, but with all the, you know, all the catalog titles in the back that they still haven't released yet, uh, you know, they're focused on stuff like King's Speech. I don't know if Suspiria is going to come out anytime soon, but uh, believe me, I would love it if Bill still had it, but unfortunately he doesn't. All right, well, let's talk a bit about your work with Shout Factory hmm. on these ongoing Roger Corman cult classics reissues. Yeah. The DVD reissue of Galaxy of Terror was one of my favorite releases last year, mostly because of the terrific doc that you concocted for the disc. That that was a that was a labor of love because I, I almost had worked on Galaxy of Terror three previous times when that title almost got licensed to three different companies. And it was like it would come down to like one signature, and then the whole thing would fall apart, and be like, oh damn it! And finally, Shout Factory licensed 50 titles from Corman, got the deal closed, and that was one of them. And so, uh, and it, that movie has always struck me as amazing because so many big people in the industry came through the Corman factory and worked on that movie in particular. 
So we cast a wide net hoping to get, you know, maybe a dozen people. We ended up with over 20 people to, that were willing to talk about their experiences of making that movie. And my editor on that, Andrew Cash, who was one of the directors of the Never Sleep Again documentary, uh, he put this thing together for me and just managed to, to just give such a wonderful just a wonderful overview of what it was like to work at the Corman factory during that particular time. And we had access to wonderful behind the scenes photos and it was, uh, that was, yeah, that was a real treat. My producer, Anya Like, really knocked it out of the park. She, she got everybody to talk about this thing. I mean, we, we had everyone down from the, you know, the production assistants all the way to, you know, some of the actors. I mean, you know, it was just, it was great. So you're working on a couple of new titles for Shelf Factory. Let's first talk about Battle Beyond the Stars from 1979. This was Roger Corman's attempt to cash in on the success of Star Wars, and I believe this is the most expensive movie he ever produced. Yeah, this was a big step up for him. I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, the most expensive Robert Roger Corman movie is one of the cheapest films made by anybody. I mean, uh, it's all relative, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, for him, this was a big step up. I mean, he put quite a bit of money and time into this one because he realized he, you know, Star Wars kind of upped the game. And, uh, yeah, well, the interesting thing was because I also worked on Galaxy of Terror, a lot of people who worked on Battle Beyond the Stars also worked on Galaxy of Terror. So we, I ended up getting almost a dozen interviews just for Battle Beyond the Stars alone. And so I'm going to have a very detailed uh, sort of mini documentary about the visual effects and sound design and all the, the, the various technical challenges that went into making that movie. We also have a very rare interview with uh, Richard Thomas, the lead from the film. He gave us a wonderful interview about his experiences making that movie. He had a really good time making it, and he has a lot of fond memories of it. And uh, it's going to be an all-new transfer brand new and it's going to be coming out i believe sometime in the summer uh so that's going to be really it's just a fascinating look at again it's like you know you have eight bucks which is more than the four bucks you normally have with corman but how do you make a space opera on that on, on, on that kind of a shoestring so that that one's coming up uh that one's gonna i think really uh, again like with galaxy of terror just be a great capsule of what it was like to be at that place at that time and you're doing grand theft auto for Shelf Factory as well. This was Ron Howard's directorial debut, yes. and I believe he only agreed to star in the film if Corman would let him direct it. Yeah, because he did, yeah, there was two films. It was Grand Theft Auto, and then he agreed, to, if he'll act and eat my dust, if he'll let him direct Grand Theft Auto. And so that, he ended up doing, and then he also ended up starring in Grand Theft Auto as well. But yeah, it was just a deal with, you know, that's what, how Corman worked. It's like, give me something, I'll give you something, you know. And uh, with Grand Theft Auto, Howard and uh, a lot of people from the film had already participated uh, either previously or for the, like, the most recent uh, Disney edition of that, of that film. What we did on Grand Theft Auto is I have an interview with John Solly, who was the, motion, uh, the, uh, the movie poster illustrator for a lot of films during the 1970s and a great many of the Corman films. And he illustrated the poster for Grand Theft Auto, and we kind of used that as an example of how he created movie posters back then, before Photoshop, before all those types of movies. And he still had the original photos from the session he did with, uh, I believe, Nancy Morgan and Ron Howard, posing for the for the uh, the reference, doing the reference photos for the poster. So I still have, so I have access to all those photos. You're going to get to see kind of how he took these photos, posed them a certain way, and then illustrated the poster around them. So that's that's my uh, contribution to Grand Theft Auto, and it's it's going to be, 
that one is going to be really fun to watch, especially if you're into you know movie poster history. And you're working on a couple of really interesting titles for Synapse Films. Let's start with Red Scorpion, the Joe Zito-directed anti-communist propaganda epic from 1988 starring Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. This was a surprising bit of news, actually, because this isn't a title you'd ordinarily expect to see on a Synapse Films release. So how did that come about? Wasn't this a 20th Century Fox title? Well, that movie's been kicked around for a number of years. First of all, Synapse has made a history out of doing things that they just think are cool. So I don't know if there is such a thing as a typical Synapse Films title. I think this fits in just as well as anything else. But uh, and it, that movie was actually produced, believe it or not, by a man named Jack Abramoff. Uh, who is is now notorious for he was a lobbyist who went to prison and there's been a, a documentary and a f- feature film starring uh, Kevin Spacey that's been based on his life uh, Casino Jack and uh, this was a film he produced that was shot in South Africa uh, I believe for the Shapiro Glickenhaus Corporation it was an independent film and the rights reverted back to Shapiro Glickenhaus and Synapse has had a long relationship. Uh, with those guys, uh, dating back to when they did Maniac Cop and Basket Case 2. So they were able to get the rights to Red Scorpion, and they're restoring it from a brand-new interpositive that was just found, and it's going to be an uncut version of the film or a longer version of the film that's been never been seen before. And uh, Tom Savini did the effects on the film, and so he has behind-the-scenes footage on the set in South Africa that we're going to hopefully get access to in a new interview with him. And uh, Joe Zito has already signed on to do stuff for it. And, you know, we're going to reach out to Dolph and maybe a couple other people, see what else we can get. But at, at this point, I don't know. But it's gonna be, that's going to be a really interesting one to work on because that's uh, what a, it's a bizarre film, and yet it's, it's, it's got some very interesting social and political elements to it that not a lot of films... Certainly not a lot of action films made around that time have. And you're working on a release for Intruder, the slasher film from 1989 starring Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. What are you doing for that release? That That's one of my favorite. That's maybe my favorite slasher of all time. Scott Spiegel, who had worked with Sam and known Sam forever and co-wrote Evil Dead 2 and has appeared in a cameo in just about every one of Sam's most recent films. Uh I, that movie is just so wild and over the top, and it was infamous for being probably the most censored slasher film ever released on home video. When Paramount Video brought that out, they cut, I mean, every last bit of gore was cut from the film. And this movie is way over the top uh, in terms of the, the bloodletting. I mean, hand, you know, heads are bandsawed and crushed in, in, in trash compactors, and uh, it's just, uh, it's such a wild fun movie and the camera work is just out of control it makes sam raimi look sedate uh he, he just took it spiegel just went nuts and just put the camera in every conceivable place in that picture and yeah sam raimi has a major role in it and the lead role is from a man named dan hicks who played the redneck jake in evil dead 2 and he just owns the whole picture i mean he just gives it us all and there's cameos for everyone from producer Lawrence Bender, who went on to work with Quentin Tarantino and Bruce Campbell's in it for a couple seconds. And it's uh, we're getting the original uncut version restored from the negatives for the first time ever. And it's gonna be that's gonna be another labor of love because it's gonna be this came at the end of the slasher cycle, the very end of the slasher cycle when slashers were pretty much done, and the ones that were coming out were just getting hacked to bits in order to qualify for an R rating and. It's going to be a very interesting story to tell because this one's had 
a very long life on the bootleg market and sort of the, the underground market, so it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about how this movie has survived, despite the fact that the only commercially available version of it for the longest time was shorn of every bit of fun that the movie had to offer. Now, your progenitor, in a sense, Mr. David Gregory, has since segued into making original feature films of his own design. When are we going to see a Mike Felscher feature film? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that will finally come to pass, because one thing, if there's one lesson I've been learning a lot in the past few years is, you know, DVD documentaries and these sorts of things are fun, and they've been supporting me largely for the last several years, but it's not going to last forever. Um, eventually, you're just going to run out of movies, and uh, it's just going to be a situation where, well, what has this all been leading up towards? And I've got a couple scripts that I've been toying around with the last couple of years, and I, I've had some time down, and I've been kind of revisiting a lot of the narrative stuff that I did in the early days, and putting some of my old short films, you know, kind of digitizing them, and it's been getting me back in the mind of, you know, this really was about writing and directing my own stuff, and this has been a wonderful, a wonderful career to have had for the last six years. But, yeah, it, it's it's time now, I think, finally to kind of swing for the fences and, and try a narrative feature. And uh, I'm hoping that certainly by the end of this year, uh, I want to have at least two scripts finished and get really active in trying to get at least one of them made because I want to do it at least once. You know, I got to do it at least once to see it's like, well, I guess I was pretty good at that or no, 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 I suck. Uh, this is the last time I'll ever do that, but I got to know, you know? So yeah, it's they're a, a, a feature film directed by me. That's something that's definitely going to happen sooner rather than later. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on episode one of the new podcast keep me posted on all of the stuff we've been talking about and we'll catch up with you very soon thanks again and it was a, actually was a genuine honor to be on your first episode thanks for thinking of me to keep up to date with mike's ongoing dvd adventures visit his website at www.redshirepictures.com and stay tuned to the Rumorg blog for more installments of the Rumorg podcast and remember don't forget to leave your comments suggestions accusations etc www.ru-morg.com